Welcome to a special holiday edition of the Q-Files. There's murder and mystery in the cold winter air. So curl up next to the fire and pour yourself a mug of hot chocolate because it's the most wonderful time of the year. For toasting and caroling out in the snow There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the- Wait, did he just say scary ghost stories in a Christmas song? He did, and as it turns out, Halloween wasn't always the only haunted holiday. For generations, it was in fact the Christmas holiday that received all the spooky tales. I mean, even the most famous Christmas story is really a ghost story. The Charles Dickens 1843 classic, A Christmas Carol, belongs to and stems from a long, rich, and mostly forgotten folk tradition of telling ghost stories on Christmas Eve. That's why this week we're going to take you on a haunted adventure around Columbus with our friend Bucky Cutright from Booze and Booze. Before we started on our ghost story adventure, we sat down with Bucky to discuss a little about the haunted history of Christmas. Seemed odd we hadn't uh, connected yet. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. I'm glad to rectify that. It's uh, <laughs> been something I've been uh, hoping to get done for a while now. And here we are. Yeah, right excellent. at Christmas too. Mm-hmm. It's a time of togetherness. It is. It's the spirits. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. I love when they say you know Christmas spirit. Mm-hmm. The three of us have a different oh, idea. Yeah. Of yeah, we do. They're, yeah. What that is. Yes, indeed, indeed. So. So basically, we want to let everyone know um, sort of what you do. So how did you actually come to the idea of creating Booze and Booze, which is a great name, Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, And, you know, your um, experience with Ghost Paranormal Mm. before that that led Mm. you to do this. Mm. Okay, well, um, I was... I was born this way. I was, <laughs> you know, I've always, uh, I've always, um, from very early age, had a had a creep factor going on. So, uh, one of my earliest memories, I remember learning my father was a, um, a carpenter, and that meant that he could make things out of wood. I had to be like three years old. I was like, right. cool. You can make a cemetery for the <laughs> yard. And, you know, um, our kind mm, of yeah. That was my first thought. You know. And, um, I think it might have been like spring, you know, when <laughs> it dawned on me. So, yeah, so it was always that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, throughout my life, I've been interested in that stuff. And I grew up in uh, rural West Virginia, okay. which is, you know, Scotch-Irish. So there, the, the belief in ghosts and spirits and witches and signs and all that stuff is just sort of in everyone's blood. Right, and, uh, right. and I grew up with those kind of stories just being commonplace. And it, uh, I would come here for... a high school and work in restaurants and bars because there's no, you know, um, means of making a living down there. Right, <laughs> and uh, right. and I would hear these ghost stories about restaurants and bars and they just yeah. stick to my brain. Was. Yeah. 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 So, and then uh, it was, well, it was, I think it was 2012 perhaps um, when we started these, uh, uh, some friends suggested we go on a Landmark Foundation tour. Mm-hmm. And... I knew my friends were a little rowdy and probably would not <laughs> be a welcome addition to one of those tours. <laughs> and someone suggested, uh, why don't you host one? I Do said, it yourself, yeah. Yeah, why not? So With your rowdy friends. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So that's what, it was just meant to be a friend's uh, um, tour, but uh, that first year so many people wanted to do it. We had to do three of them. Wow. And everywhere we went, uh, um, folks were asking for business cards. So it just sort of uh, happened naturally. Yeah, you know? it just got off by itself. Yeah, yeah, I sort of fell into it. 
Well, when you first hear about it, I think one of the first things we talk. What a great idea! That, yeah. That's the first thing you say is what a fantastic. It's it's enjoyable. You yeah. get the bars in between, and yeah. you get creepy spots, and right. it's yeah. perfect. Yeah, it's got it all. <laughs> well, I mean, that's you know. Uh, I always, being someone into this stuff myself, every time I travel, I'd always try to make a ghost tour, you know, yeah, part of my wherever travels. wherever you were, yeah. And uh, so many of them, they'd usually just do like one bar tour a year, like around St. Patrick's Day in Chicago and different places. And they would always right. sell out in 30 seconds. So I'm like, right. well... I'll do it all year long. I've got the liver for it. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. you got the liver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. You, you know. are our kind of people. <laughs> yeah, so. so let me ask you um, specifically about um, the haunted holiday and mm -hmm. about Christmas. I mean, I we, we both have a great interest in sort of the you know legends of christmas ghosts so yeah. how did have you done one of these before yeah year? this is our i think this might be our fourth year doing these so wow. yeah it was um it was actually a, a tour guest uh um, who's since become a friend uh, named Claudia who suggested it. she came on a, a Halloween tour and she said I will pay you if you uh, put together one that goes to different li like christmas lights and tells ghost stories and i thought oh, okay maybe we can do that and not and then i started thinking about it and i was like oh I, these tours, they're, they could be five hours long and I'm yeah, just yeah. hitting locations, uh, try to, uh, confine it to, uh, stories that are, um, either their origins or the hauntings occur around the holidays mm -hmm. or they're next to places that are all lit up like Christmas or both. Yeah. And, uh, there's a surprising number of, uh, locations that fit those, you know, parameters. Well, and we're thrilled about it too, because as much research as we've done ourselves about Columbus, we don't yeah, know yeah. this. So for us, yeah, it's, it's new information yeah, yeah. and exciting. Mm -hmm. and, oh yeah, uh, we're usually taking people like you uh -huh. um, on ghost hunts and stuff. So it's really nice to be yes. guided yes. by someone who really has the knowledge. It's oh, very exciting. I've been uh, I've been sniffing around these places for a long time. A long so time. yeah, so there's going to be some a lot of a uh, lot of cool little stories. I think you'll be uh, in for a shock. Um, Thrilled. Mm -hmm. um, and just to kind of go through the history of of. Christmas ghost stories you know it was yeah. such a part of Victorian culture mm -hmm. and it didn't seem to translate um, huh. necessary <laughs> to American I joke you know besides the Puritans canceling Christmas yeah. from what 1659 to 1681 yeah. because the rowdiness basically yeah yeah too much um, yeah. but it, there is still uh, you know sort of a ambient tradition there mm -hmm. um, and why don't you think that translated well you know I you know, <laughs> In the states, we do seem to like our. Uh, we like to have everything very neatly packaged and cleaned up. And there's, a, you know, we don't. Um, we have a, uh, Americans. I think have a very polarized view of things. It's either this or it's that, and uh, yeah. they can't. Uh, things that swim in between the spectrums are. Yeah. Freaky, you know, or, or things uh, and, uh, like critical thinking yes. that actually involve thinking yes. about things yeah. that, that might be paradoxical mm -hmm. somehow. Yeah, and, that, yeah, yeah, that, that doesn't, doesn't sit. Doesn't no, rub so no, much. it doesn't. No, we're not good at that. But you know, and that's, uh, it's. I mean, it has been. You know, Victorian England. It was. It still is a pretty big thing there. You yeah. know, the, the in England, um, the British Isles have a the BBC does a ghost story for Christmas every year. Um, with Mark Gaddis, uh, I think that did Doctor Who and uh, League of Or. Uh, what is it? I'll have to look into that. Yeah, but they do. You can find them on YouTube, and they're great fun. They're usually like M.R. James ghost stories and stuff yeah. like that, and yeah. they do adaptations. And then uh, there's a British Library has started uh, putting out uh, Christmas ghost story uh, 
uh, books. Um, nice. So yeah, so I think the, those are on my list this year. Yeah. There's yeah, a, and then this of course brings us to you know Dickens. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there, there's no other book that's probably had more of an influence, at least, especially yeah. England. But in this country, I think of the idea of Christmas ghosts. Yeah. Um, do you think it has informed? particularly in America, that's kind of our only idea yeah, of Christmas ghosts. Yeah, that's really the only one we've got, yeah. you know. Um, it, Well, the, you know, the whole idea of ghost stories at Christmas, there was a time when it was, you heard the ghost stories at Christmas, you didn't hear them at Halloween, and uh, it's... Right, yeah. right. You know, it was um, just the idea of nighttime belonging to the, uh, being a realm of the dead, and the longer nights equal more ghosts. And... and uh, the the in Dickens, you know, like the ghost and that it was the the there's the moral ghost, you know, with the past and future and everything. But uh, Marley is really yes, yes, the one that's um uh, fits into that traditional idea of uh, the ghost of Christmas because it's around the winter solstice, the days start getting longer, the oh, door is closing, and it's the last chance for these ghosts to enact any unfinished business. So that's sort of what Marley was doing. Marley you know. starts out the book. Mm -hmm. that's exactly yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's. He's trying to tie up those loose ends, you know, with right. his partner. So that's really cool. And it's, yeah, it is a, it is interesting that we don't have more ghost stories. But we did, you know, uh, actually Black Christmas, uh, the the 1974 horror film with Margot Kidder. I don't know if you all have seen that. Yes. It was, and I it, was a Margot Kidder fan back well, in the day. Well, um, I'm going to have to, I missed that. You've got some plans for the, this <laughs> evening after tour. But it was the first, uh, actually, that's kind of interesting. It was the first uh, slasher film, uh, technically, you know, in cinema history, and it was a Christmas movie. So, wow, you know, so that's excellent. kind of, so we do have those little things that are yeah. slipping in there, you know, yeah. beside uh, Tim uh, Burton's. Of course, mm -hmm. you know, our new classic, really, yes, yeah. yeah. And, and I read something interesting. Uh, it's a woman named Floris Kingsland. She did a 1904 book of indoor and outdoor games. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and st still lists um, ghost stories as the best activity for Christmas. And here's a quote that she puts in there that I loved. The realm of spirits was also always thought to be nearer to that of mortals on Christmas than any other time. Yeah. So it makes sense. It's an emotional holiday. Yeah. It's you know, of course, we're remembering the, past, people who yeah. aren't there, yeah. and and it makes it yeah. makes perfect sense. It seems yeah. like the ghost story fits. Yeah, fits it, in it, yeah, it it can be comforting and terrifying at the same time. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, and you know, I was listening um, the other day, just you know, as as the Christmas tunes were playing in that Andy Williams song, mm -hmm. "It's a Most Wonderful mm -hmm. Time of the Year," and you know, there's that line: "They'll be carrying out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of glories yeah. of Christmas long ago." So even our own carols. Yeah, talk well, about they, they, ghost it stories. slipped in there. Yeah, it slipped it, in uh, there. Yeah. And then you go, "What? What did he say mm -hmm. about ghost stories?" Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it is. It's a. I was. I'm waiting on Ellen to pop up with presents every time yeah. I hear that now. I've been conditioned. <laughs> I've had know? such a dream, too. Uh -huh. I'm like, if she could, if she mm -hmm. just, and then it's like, oh, geez, it's the 11th day. There's mm -hmm. only one more day. Why There's... am I still using an iPhone 7? That's right. <laughs> Where's Ellen? That's uh, right. Yeah. Well, I see, I would love to see sort of a new tradition arise of, of you know, particularly gathering at our homes on mm -hmm. uh, the 23rd or the 24th to yeah. start this ghost. Yeah. So if you ever want to do so, we, we I have done a lot of readings and public. Mm -hmm. The greetings in the past, and I thought maybe we just start start a uh, uh, Christmas a, Ghost Club. Christmas Ghost Club. I think that sounds. Wonderful. I think that sounds like a great time. Be and great. They'll come on the tour for this, and then next week would be the. Um, I think the, we could. Uh, I think I could uh, scare up a um, good venue. 
for us too. I, so. I think we're on to something. Yeah, right yeah, there. I'm, I would love that. You know, one of the things, and I'm going to throw this out there, and this is a bit of a wacky question, I'm sure. Mm. But Shane and I, um, in our last podcast, we were talking about how, you know, with really Western civilization being built on Christianity mm-hmm. and um, all of the paranormal events in the Bible, oh, yeah. and no one has a problem with those. So we talk about the nativity no, no, that's, and I've, Easter. So. <laughs> We're celebrating uh-huh. this, and yeah. people still a have a problem with ghosts or don't believe in ghosts. Yeah, well, it's it's so, it's. I'll be uh, later tonight. We'll be going by a place, and I'll be pointing out. You know, the manger was a haunted house. If you think about it, yeah, um, uh, you yeah, know. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, there's uh, angels, ghosts. What do you, you know? Wings or. You right. know, sheets, whatever. It's still a paranormal entity. Um, well, I talked uh, to him in this last podcast. I said, yeah. you know, it's one thing a little green man walks in, a, a big being with wings walks uh, in. It's yeah. not going to be comforting to me. No, you know, initially, so. it's really, it's really no, not. No, no, no. I just, <laughs> halo. I, huh. Yeah. No, so I, we find that disconnect it, it, particularly, yeah, particularly it is, interesting. It, yeah, well, you know, it is, it is strange, but I, I, I think more people believe in ghosts and uh, you know like I usually um, every year at the beginning of October I kind of check out the polls to see what the statistics are uh-huh. it's like 45 uh, percent yeah. this year yeah. and so I mean I if you do the math with the population that's like 150 some million people it's a lot of people yeah, yeah. Who, but, but I think it's just the ones that don't believe are just so irritating yeah. <laughs> you know it's yeah. like yeah well you know Shane and, and I when yeah. we started uh, Queer Ghost Hunters we, we were fascinated by the fact that every no one would ever believe in ghosts right, uh-huh. when we talked to and the minute we would start saying we were ghost hunters mm-hmm. Within the next couple of sentences, somebody would always say, you know, my grandmother had, yeah. my grandmother saw mm-hmm. good, my yeah. brother, you know, when I was at my great-grandfather's yeah. wedding, everybody, they may say that, but everybody's yeah. got a ghost story. Yeah, they do, they do, and it's, uh, you know, I mean, that's a, that's something that crosses all human culture. So yes, it's absolutely. and it's and I'm and it's uh it's it is really interesting and <laughs> funny you say that because yeah I've noticed it so many times before where I have people uh um actually last year we did a tour in Ireland. We took people for a week and stayed in haunted castles oh, and stuff my. like that. Are you and, doing that again? Um hopefully this September, yeah. So um it's a it's a, it's a great time. <laughs> uh, my partner is born and raised so so that's so you're let traveling us, with a native and oh um, my goodness let us know yeah, that yeah. would be a yeah it's a great time but and but the uh, last year like uh, one of the uh, it was all over and I uh, had a uh, room in this pub out in the country and it's kind of a conservative area you know so I'm sitting there and these people were talking and I've had a few drinks and they're talking to me and I mentioned like oh you know I'm a uh, uh, brought people here for a ghost tour and uh, I thought I was going to get beat up for a minute and uh, <laughs> it's just this that's absolute bullshit and oh, then wow. and then sort of an aggressive kind yeah of, yeah uh, very they know, were angry disbelief. about the <laughs> idea yeah but then within uh within like a half a drink it turned into oh actually you want to go down here and you want to turn at this road and then you're going to see a mausoleum on the side and if you knock three times and it's uh yeah so it's you know people they put up fronts you know (laughs) but uh it's in the end it usually becomes yeah almost almost everyone you know or talk to Mm -hmm. has 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 their story story Mm -hmm. um so anything shane anything you want to ask or um 
we are beyond excited. Thank you for sitting yeah. down with us. Oh, of course, one. of course. Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm, I'm to honored meet you. to uh, be on this, and I yeah, and I'm completely uh, very much in line with what the, you all are doing. And uh, right. you know, it's it's um, it's uh, yeah, it connects exactly with the, the train of thought that I've been using for years to you know Fantastic. bring the history yes. to people that yeah. gets uh, yeah. that gets buried, and it's uh, it's nice to see it being dug up <laughs> well, we, feel, we feel the same way and we are so excited to learn all these new tidbits tonight wonderful I, I'm, I'm thrilled it is an absolute thanks, pleasure Lori. to meet you it same, really is same yeah. same here thank you very much Shane. so let's go uh let's go find some ghosts. should we go hear some stories let's go hear okay. some stories wonderful cheers cheers I was telling some folks here before we started, uh, I'm really happy that uh, Wonder Bar is here, where this is the original Max and Hermes. And uh, um, it's only been Wonder Bar about a year. And over the past eight years or so, I've collected tons and tons of amazing German Village ghost stories, but I've never been able to share them because a lot of these restaurants and bars are too packed and crowded and busy and loud and it just wouldn't work. So. Uh, I'm really happy to have the space that I can share these stories. And I'm going to use this as to kind of give you a little quick tour of some uh, other points in the village that have uh, holiday time ghost stories associated with them. Now, the very first one I want to talk about is uh, Schwartz Castle. Does anyone know about that or where that's located? We'll be going by it in a moment. It's uh, just the north of uh, us on this street on 3rd at Livingston, um, where the interstate is. It's right across from Katzinger's. There's a big tower there. Um, uh, Frederick Wilhelm Schwartz was a guy who built that in the um, 1880s, uh, we believe, and he was a uh, chemist, they say. <laughs> uh, pretty much he was, uh, in that time frame, it basically meant he just uh, put some morphine and some alcohol and put it in a bottle and sold it to you if you felt sick, and it was a cure-all, and it worked. <laughs> you know, a lot of times he would be like, I feel completely fine now, and uh, he made a fortune. Now, uh, the, the story is he had a, a fiancé in Germany. And he was going to come here and sell his elixirs and uh, potions and make all this money and build this big castle for her so she could uh, live like the princes that she was. And he held up his end of the bargain, but that must have come across as a little bit uh, desperate because, um, you know, he finished the castle, sent for uh, his uh, fiance, and she said, my God, he built the damn thing. Oh, this is awkward. And she got out a pen. Dear Frederick, I've given my heart to another and will remain on in der Deutschland. Helga. Um, now, I don't know if any of you have ever gone through this, but uh, he was said to be a genius, and whenever you break the heart of a genius, um, they go a little... Um, so, after uh, being uh, jilted, uh, Frederick, he uh, stopped cutting his nails, he stopped wearing shoes, he didn't cut his hair, uh, he couldn't stand the feeling of uh, clothing on his skin, just um, He would drink only rainwater and eat only raw grains. He became a turn-of-the-century hippie. One thing he really loved to do was go up uh, in the top of that tower and uh, catch some rays completely nude. <laughs> Actually, I found a, a recent, um, uh, recently I found an article of uh, two very prim and proper uh, German village society ladies uh, passing by the castle one day, and he's up there, uh, you know, in the all together, getting some vitamin D, and uh, they, you know, shout up, uh, we're calling the cops, cover yourself, you're indecent, and you know, the, they're going to throw you in jail and toss the key in the river. And uh, Frederick's response was, if you don't like what you see, you don't have to look. And um, 
Yeah, so uh, he actually uh, ended up dying in the tunnel, or in the tower, excuse me, in uh, 1915. And uh, ever since, people have reported seeing him uh, climbing the spiral staircase to get some uh, sun. And I don't know if he's got clothes on or if there's a ghost weighing involved or not. I've never seen him. I drive by it a lot, but... Hmm. It's something to keep an eye out for. Now, um, because he had no heirs, the castle was uh, given over to the city. In the 1920s, a bunch of nuns took it over, and they had a maternity hospital in there, which is... Then in the 1950s, it was broken up into apartments. Now, a lot of uh, German village ghost stories uh, have their origins in that 1950s period, because at that point, the interstate came through, and it... uh, German village off from the rest of downtown, and it became a very rough neighborhood, a very, very dangerous place to live. And uh, so there was a woman who lived up in the top floor of the castle. Uh, her name was Sybil Smith. And uh, now it's like, I think, 5000 or more a month in rent if you want to live up there. She got a good deal on it, I'm sure. Uh, in those days, she had two grown sons, Eugene and Farley, and they lived in Chicago. And uh, in June of 1956, uh, they decided to get in Eugene's car and come down and visit mom. So uh, they got here, and uh, the very first thing to do, the celebration was in order. They went and got a 12-pack of Schlitz and got all tore up and um, ran out of beer. And Farley says, hey, Eugene, give me the keys to your car. And uh, you know, Eugene says, what do you want the keys to the car for, Farley? I'm going to go get more beer, Eugene. You're not driving my car. You're drunk. I'm going to get your car. We need more beer. And uh, this goes on and on. And then uh, eventually Farley uh, pulls out a knife and stabs his brother in the abdomen. And then, uh, Mom, I did it again. So uh, Sybil goes to the cupboard, gets a Band-Aid, and puts it over the wounds. And they lay him down on the bed and watch him uh, bleed out and die. Oh, they're getting ready for a karaoke, I think. Um, so he dies, and uh, things go on. And in the 1980s, there was a law office and a, a real estate uh, office down in the lower floor of Schwartz Castle, and they would report hearing the sound of an argument happening upstairs, even though it was unoccupied and vacant. And it was thought to be this uh, beard-run debacle of 56. I'm not sure that's the case, because... At Christmas time that year, 1956, Sybil had a lot of extra clothing on her hand. She had one son that was in the ground, the other was in jail. So she decided to sell off some of these belongings to neighbors and friends so she'd have holiday money. There was a next-door neighbor who lived on the same floor as her named Ernest Eaton, and he decided to buy a couple of uh, her dead kids' suit jackets. He grabs them, gives her some money, goes back over to his apartment, and then realizes that he'd accidentally paid with a 20. They weren't worth that much. It was a dead kid's suit jackets, and it was 1956. So he goes over and says, hey, Sybil, uh, I'm sorry I made a mistake. I gave you a 20 for those jackets, and I need that 20 back. And she said, no, you didn't. He's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. I only had a 20 and two ones, and now I only have two ones. I gave you a 20. Give it back to me. No, you're not getting a 20 back. You never gave me a 20. Yeah, I did. And then Sybil's wife comes over, and she says, you gave him that back. Ernest Eaton's wife, rather. And she starts getting in on it, and then Sybil's boyfriend gets in on this whole thing. Like, come at me. No one's getting a 20 back. And they get in this whole, like, Steve Wilco's fight and argument, and they're going up and down the aisle or the hallway, and they go down the stairs onto the landing. And at that point, um, Sybil's boyfriend's had enough of this whole thing. So he goes into the apartment, he gets a 20 gauge, he comes out and he puts it in the back of Ernest Eaton's skull, presses the trigger, blows his head off. I think that might be the argument that people are hearing upstairs. <laughs> um, possibly. Uh, and that's why there's a, also a headless ghost uh, said to be haunted at uh, Schwartz Castle. Now, um, another uh, German village uh, ghost that is uh, 
particularly associated with the holidays, and that was my first uh, Christmas story for you, by the way. So cheers to that. Um, uh, Schmitz, has anyone ever... Uh, you know, Schmitz, hopefully not tonight. Um, uh, we had some people that, uh, uh, we had a group that all ate at Schmitz before a tour a while ago, and we were all haunted by it. Oh, we, <laughs> the, the bus has windows, but still. Um, now, uh, Schmitz, uh, that was, uh, Fred J. Schmitz uh, built it as a slaughterhouse in 1886, and it wasn't until 1910 he decided to add cream puffs and smorgasbords and things, and um, it became what we know today. Now, he, uh, haunts the building, uh, along with some friends. It's kind of unusual. He travels with an entourage. And uh, even stranger is they're seasonal ghosts. They only come around the holidays. They winter in German village. I don't know where they spend the rest of the year. Uh, but it's, uh, when we started the holiday tours, this was Max and Irma's, and it was packed and busy, and there would be no way we could be in here. I thought uh, Schmitz would be a good spot to start with their banquet room. So I went and talked with them. And uh, the manager was all on board, and she took, gave, they gave us a tour and showed us where all these different things happened. And she mentioned that, yeah, they, they show up around the holidays, and it's usually just around Thanksgiving. Light bulbs start burning out all at the same time, and that's when they arrive. That's how they let them know they're there. Um, another kind of strange thing is, is one of... Uh, one of Fred's buddies who uh, accompanies him in the afterlife was quite a womanizer and he'd uh, lather on too much cologne. We all know someone like that, right? And uh, she said that it's shortly after the light bulbs burn out, she'll be working in the office upstairs and she'll start getting this overpoweringly sick smell of this cheap cologne. Uh, she knows he's around. He's not a touchy ghost, which is good because there are some that don't know the... <laughs> their place um, but uh, so he's at least a gentleman about it these days and now um, one of the more well-known ghost stories uh, concerning that place was one day they were uh, closing and it was just a manager and a server and uh, they heard a commotion coming from the banquet room upstairs so they go up to check because they had to and when they get up there the server says you know what, if it's all the same to you, I'm just going to stand here in the hallway and wait. And the manager says, yeah, whatever, chicken. Turns the lights on to the banquet area and uh, immediately notices everything is as it should be, except in the middle of the room, there are four chairs that, all the chairs are supposed to be stacked on top of the tables for vacuuming and stuff. There are four chairs that have been placed down uh, around the on the floor. So he uh, goes into the room and he's putting them back up. And as he's doing so, he notices some movement out of the corner of his eye. He looks up, and has anyone uh, been up in the banquet area? Uh, yeah, you, well, you grew up in the village, right? You know, yeah. There's, um, uh, there's a mirror up there, and he sees in the reflection of the mirror this old man just, hey, you know, waving and smiling and grinning as friendly as all get out. He turns around and looks at this, like, who the hell is this? And there's no one there. He doesn't see him. Where could he have gone? So he goes out, asks the uh, server if they... Uh, Saw some, did some old man just come stomping out of here? And she says, what in the hell are you talking about? And as they're discussing it, they feel this ice-cold blast of air push past them, uh, and then the door at the bottom of the stairs flies open and closes as if he's on his way to wherever they go in the other <laughs> seasons. Um, so, yeah, there, there's quite a few different uh, experiences that they have there. Uh, anytime they have a, uh, the normal uh, cleaning staff has a call off and they have replacements, they always end up leaving in the middle of the night, halfway through their work, because they have, uh, they get messed with. 
before we go inside, we're standing outside the Thurber house. Uh, uh, before we go in, I want to tell you a little bit about this place. And this is what I used to like to tell people in front of the... I, I did. I hit record. I, I remember this time. Um, thank you. Uh, this was the site of the original... Um, uh, Ohio Lunatic Asylum, the state hospital. Uh, one thing I think about around the holidays, I think is a kind of nice thing about Columbus, is we've always had a fantastic record of uh, social service agencies or, or, or beneficial um, uh, institutions that looked after the um, less fortunate. And uh, there was an enormous uh, asylum here. Uh, until November 17th, 1868, it burned to the ground. Now on that night, um, uh, there were only even there was almost 400 uh, patients, but uh, uh, only seven of them died. Six that night, and one a little bit later uh, of smoke inhalation. The reason was is everyone was in the uh, amusement hall at, um, uh, at the time of the fire, and and when the um, when the fire caught, all of a sudden all the doctors, nurses, uh, orderlies. Uh, Guards, everyone, it was all hands on deck. They all had to come pitch buckets and try to put this thing out. Realized wasn't doing a good job and it wasn't going to, it was a loss. So they uh, decided to go back and check on the uh, patients who were left unattended. Um, now, according to some of the uh, newspaper accounts, what they, uh, the site that greeted them whenever they came back was a pretty horrific one. Uh, they said that they, um, uh, a kind of massive rape orgy uh, had uh, developed in, in this room uh, as as the fire was burning and illuminated only by the licking flames burning down this 1838 uh, asylum shining through the window. That had to have been a pretty uh, pretty impressive sight, huh? Um, now, yeah. Now, the, now, the, uh, now the, there's. It, I, the, the thing about that is, it, it's really interesting because it depends on the papers you read and how how much they play that aspect up. Some of them, it's like, no, there's, you know, this one lady was dancing on piano, this one person was doing this. It's kind of, but there were the seven women, uh, the six women that were uh, rescued from the flames in the newspaper. They, they said we were uh, pulled out of the flames and born out of that uh, devouring element. Their bodies were laid on the grass amid the freshly fallen snow, rendering more ghastly and ghostly the harrowing scene. So they were uh, laid out right here. Um, uh, several years later, um, uh, something turned up. Let's go inside and uh, tell you about it. Okay, so, yeah, so we're uh, standing in a parlor, or sitting in the parlor of um, uh, James Thurber's house, the Thurber House Museum. Um, this is uh, this uh, house was built in 1873 after the uh, fire cleared the asylum. And uh, during, uh, from 1913 to 1917, uh, James Thurber lived here while he attended OSU with his family. Now, um, he wrote a lot of famous, uh, you know, short stories and cartoons and things like that. There was one called The Night the Ghost Got In that was based on an experience that he had on November 17th, 1915, the night, the anniversary of the asylum fire. And I don't know that he was aware of the asylum fire having occurred, but he was uh, here with his brother and uh, he was getting ready for bed around 1.15 in the morning upstairs washing his face and uh, all of a sudden he heard the stomping boom 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 someone stomping around the uh, dining room table in there uh, he woke up his brother alerted like oh my god we've got to break in there's some uh, you know murderous fiend that intends to do us mischief downstairs it was 1915 I like to think they spoke like that I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so he wakes his brother up and they go to the top of the stairs preparing to do battle and it was 1915 so it's you know yeah see you and um, this boom 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 bang 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 boom, 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 up the stairs right towards them and it stops right in front of them there's no one there um, 
after probably producing their own Yule logs, they uh, <laughs> and um, uh, found a you know stayed at a friend's house. I don't know that, that they uh, um, certainly uh, didn't find any source for this uh, banging. Or, and um, Thurber did write that story the night the ghost got in uh, a few years after, and it, he did his humorous bit with it and made it really fun and entertaining and this sort of lighthearted, jovial thing. But in uh, interviews, he considered this to be a genuine paranormal uh, event that occurred in this house. And um, whenever he would refer to the building, he would always change the address so the people that lived here um, wouldn't have to... Uh, worry about looky-loos or, or, you know, get freaked out about the idea. Now, um, being the intellectual that he was, he wanted to go find out what could have caused this uh, ghost, because he didn't know about the asylum fire, I don't think. He, uh, there was a corner store he went to, and he went in and said, hey, I live at 77 West Jefferson, and, uh, and they're like, oh, let me guess, you're getting ready for bed around 1.15 in the morning, all of a sudden you hear a bunch of stomping, and it runs up the stairs and it stops. He's like, yeah, as a matter of fact, that's what happened. And the proprietor of this uh, corner store says, well, let me tell you. A few years ago, there was this husband and wife that lived in your place, and uh, one day when the husband was at work, he got this anonymous message saying, you want to know what's really going on at your place, you show up unannounced Tuesday, 10 a.m. So he uh, did what this... Uh, anonymous tipster suggested and he found his wife uh, in the throes of passion with another person and uh, out of aggravation he stomped around the dining room table and then he tearing his hair ran upstairs and pulled out a gun and pew! that's the story we're here at the boathouse at confluence park um, this is the most modern of any location we stop on any of our tours and it's one uh, location that we include on every one of our Columbus uh, tours because it is more than it appears to be. Um, it, so it's where I've had things happen while I've been in the middle of storytelling. Uh, we've had lots of people who've had their first experience with the paranormal uh, here. People have captured so many different things in still photos and in video. Um, uh, be touched sometimes. Um, anyway, now. It is the most modern. It's, it was uh, built in 1986, uh, finished in 1987, and every place else we go is from the 1800s for the most part. So why would it be so haunted? Well, um, location, location, location. You know, um, we're at the confluence of the uh, Olentangy and the Scioto, and um, uh, uh, there's a idea in paranormal uh, research that uh, spirits use electromagnetic energy to manifest themselves and uh, one thing that creates a lot of electromagnetic energy or electromagnetic energy is um, uh, where those water molecules collide uh, um, New Orleans where the Mississippi hits the Gulf of Mexico, um, Alton, Illinois even Marietta, Ohio has a pretty large number of uh, paranormal occurrences you know with a the Muskegon hitting the Ohio. Now, this is a much smaller scale, but it does the trick. Um, and there are lots and lots of stories here um, because this is a holiday tour. This is, a, this is kind of a brief run through of this because I want to get some more stops in. But uh, the location itself, when I first was doing tours, um, I came here because this has a great vantage point. Uh, I think a lot of people forget that it exists or they don't even realize you can come as a private restaurant and bar. Um, and I came here and asked, so, you know, you guys ever have anything crazy happen? And I damn near had carpal tunnel by the time I left. Um, uh, the the uh, event managers, the accountants, the GMs, the dishwashers, the cooks, the bartenders, everyone has experiences here. And um, uh, there's a wide variety. Um, 
Over the course of doing these tours and doing research, I started to find out why. Um, now, uh, there used to be an Indian village nearby, and there's a lot to do with that, and there was a, um, a, a War of 1812 um, uh, island right over here. But uh, the land itself, um, none of this crap would be here if it weren't for a guy named Lucas Sullivan. He was the first uh, person to row his white ass up to Scioto and uh, um, map this area out and you know um, do a land surveying. And he uh, was paid for his work in land. And um, uh, the spot under our feet is where he decided would be his um, settlement, Franklinton. Um, and uh, he must not have been too bright of a land surveyor because this is a low-lying uh, piece of land between two bodies of water with high banks on both sides. So 1797, they start building the house. I think they had seven or eight here. And then in 1798, a big flood swept through. And he said, well, I'm an idiot. And he moved Franklinton over there where it is now. Still didn't help, as I mentioned in the bus. There was uh, 96 people killed in the flood in 1913. Now, after that, this is, this is a kind of curious thing. Um, the Columbus Metropolitan Library recently started digitizing all their old maps. Which is fantastic because I love going to the main library and making a big production out of, oh, I'm going to have to look at this, you know, and check them out. But now I can hang out in my underwear at home with, you know, a cup of coffee and just look. And I was looking through um, uh, recently and I noticed that uh, in 1813 maps, this is listed as a burial grounds. Now, I don't know. There were, uh, they did bury. Uh, people on the island uh, where the War of 1812 uh, prison camp was, um, there's a, the oldest uh, existing um, cemetery in central Ohio is just on the other side of this river right here. But I never figured out exactly what the burial grounds was, but it was listed as one in 1813. Um, now, uh, shortly after that, in 1833, this became the site of the very first Franklin County poorhouse. Um, and it was from here from 1833 to 1839. And in that time period, you'd get a lot of orphans. It would probably almost be pretty much an orphanage because of all the you know people who'd uh, run afoul of a panther or an Indian, you know, in those days, um, bacteria. So um, they had a poorhouse here, and they decided that it was a bad location for such a thing as well because you've got the water and lots of little kids, and drowning was an issue. They uh, moved it to a German village where the Beck Street Elementary School is, which that was torn down in the 1860s, and there's a bunch of hauntings associated with that one, too. Uh, um, after that, this was owned by the Chittendens and Neils, um, uh, just a bunch of uh, different street name families, and it was farming land until 1950s when they built a naval recruitment center here. Everyone's always like, what, a naval recruitment center in Columbus, Ohio? But if you think about it, there's really no better place to sell the idea of life at sea than right in the middle of Ohio. You're going to love it. The waves are going to lull you to sleep every night. Just sign up right here. Uh, now, uh, the manager uh, tonight, Jeff, he um, uh, told me that he just met a guy recently who was stationed here at this naval uh, recruitment center that was on the site. He said it was creepy as hell, and I don't doubt it because this... Like, they tore that down in 1986 to build this, and that's pretty much the history of the land. Now, um, I pride myself on my stories being uh, historically accurate, and whenever I mention names and dates, you know, you take it to the bank. Some people Google along as I'm telling stories. I don't care. I've, I'm, I'm comfortable with my knowledge. Um, but this, uh, this particular first uh, ghost story about this place is one I've never been able to find um, evidence of, but I don't think that means it didn't occur because uh, occasionally things do get swept under the rug for depending on the circumstance. Uh, but it was uh, in 87 when this first opened, there was a wedding that was said to take place or was supposed to take place in the uh, large ballroom 
uh, over here on the south end of the building. And the groom uh, got cold feet and absolutely mortified the uh, bride decided she would get cold feet too in the most literal sense and she ran sobbing and crying down the hallway and down these stairs out onto this patio and right over here she threw herself over and dashed her head on the boulders down below. Um, they see her over there. We'll go over in a minute and I'll tell you more about that. Um, first though, I, since it is Christmas and a holiday tour, I want to tell you about something that happened here in this room last year. Uh, they were getting ready for a, a holiday party and um, the, Corey, the, uh, the event manager, uh, was setting up this room and uh, the centerpieces on all the tables were little Christmas trees. So he had one on each uh, table and he was putting garland and decorating and going and putting everything. And, doing so and he ran out of garland so uh, he goes into the supply room gets some more comes back in every single tree had all the decorations pushed back to one side he said what assholes trying to make my night go much worse it fixes everything and keeps decorating oh he needs some more uh, ornaments he goes back in he comes back same thing again uh, and he was only gone for just a second the supply room is just right across the way eventually he said to hell with it and he uh, just put uh, wreaths on all the tables um, so there's that now the uh, there's ghosts from every period, I think, of this building's history or the land's history. Uh, why don't we go ahead and have a little walk around and I'll show you some of this stuff. This is the room where that wedding was supposed to have taken place. And um, uh, they do, it is still used, there a lot of people have their weddings or uh, receptions and stuff here. And uh, there have been quite a few times where um, a bride will be having her first dance with a partner or parent and um, in the uh, reflection of the mirrors or the windows, she'll see all the other wedding guests behind her. And amongst them, there's another bride. And she's got this uh, banged up head and this jaw hanging agape and it's usually like oh this is my show bitch turns around she's not there she only appears in reflections um we've had uh, her turn up in photographs before um, that's why i mentioned it with a jaw because i've seen her um in a photo from years ago actually not this halloween but the halloween before um it was the night before halloween it was october 30th uh, it was warm and i was sitting out we were out on the patio starting the tour and i was telling stories and um next day i get up and i get an email from one of the guests and she had taken a picture of me out there and out this is we're up high uh right behind me there's this kind of greenish woman <laughs> floating in the air right behind me and that's where she, near where they say she jumped um so yeah she uh actually uh <laughs> This past year, we had a young man, I was telling a story, and he uh, fled the room, and then the next day I got an email from him that he was being attacked. He felt this strangling, and he went on to overshare that he was brought a date that he really didn't love, and he just hadn't told her yet, and he thinks so the bride was, ah, you know. So um, if you brought someone tonight, kind of keep an eye on, uh, see if they look uncomfortable, you'll know. Um, now, uh, Another ghost here, um, there's an old man, he's spotted throughout the building. Uh, actually, recently there's a hallway I'm gonna show you in a little bit that's really weird and it's always out of focus. And uh, one of the managers was closing recently and the alarm started sounding from that door so he went to um, uh, uh, down that hallway. So he went to that hallway to uh, check the door and when he got there he saw an old man looking in through the window at the uh, end of the hall and kind of took off. Um, 
he appears all over the place. Uh, if you notice when we were walking in, the um, offices facing the parking lot are all glass. Uh, sometimes staff, when they're walking to their cars at night, they'll see him uh, standing in there watching them walk to their cars as they're <laughs> going home. Um, I think he is from the uh, recruitment center because uh, just based on his appearance, they say he has a uh, like a shaggy uh, beige jacket and um, a white baseball cap on. There's an old woman as well who I think, I, I assume either the uh, uh, original Franklinton settlement, uh, the um, burial grounds or the poor house, I'm not sure, but she's in old timey period clothing. Uh, she was active a couple winters ago a lot. Um, this building is partially and almost mostly elevated and there was a really bad cold snap this one year and uh, the pipes froze and uh, before they opened they had a dishwasher going into the women's room to mop up all the mess that had spewed forth from the expanding water and uh, is getting ready to go in the door flies open and this woman in this old timey clothing pushes out and goes out through the lobby and into the dining area and he says well, that was rude that was weird and wait a second we're not open yet so he goes to look for her nowhere to be seen. Um, very shortly after that, <laughs> um, I love this, there was a, a teenage girl uh, who got a job here as a hostess and whenever she got hired they were like, just so you know, we've got ghosts. And she said, yeah, you guys are just trying to screw with me because I'm a teenager. I don't believe in that stuff. Real mature guys. <laughs> well, after closing one night, she uh, had to take a tinkle and she uh, went into the women's room and was uh, in the stall and she started to hear this coming from the stall next to her. She said, I'm sorry, what's that? I don't understand what you're saying. But it was a very unintelligible, just like, like the Peanuts adult. Eventually she got so frustrated and pissed off at like whoever this was, like wasn't answering her and just mumbling. Like it was some drunk person that had been at a party earlier and was passed out. She goes and looks. There's no one in the bathroom with her. In this first haunting, um, no, there, there's lots of uh, <laughs> you know stuff with the um, with the old woman and the bride and whatever the hell's going on in there, um, uh, <laughs> and the old man. But the most active uh, entities here are the children, and I personally think kids are creepy as hell when they're alive. You know, but. Um, but uh, they're, they're, they are the most active, and one thing they do a lot is um, uh, leave little handprints um, up really high on windows and mirrors. We've seen them quite a few times here. Um, uh, there's another story, one that I didn't used to tell people whenever uh, I was first, you know, asking them about all the occurrences here. They were like, oh yeah, one time there was a birthday party in this room, and after it was over, a balloon came down and it went through the lobby and through the kitchen and through the dining room bar area and then came back in here and went back up. I was like, that's not really a you know, ghost story. Helium balloons lose buoyancy, there's weird airflow in a building of this size, big deal. The reason I'm telling you is uh, shortly after I started these, I was doing a walking tour downtown for a Franklin County judge and her husband. And uh, we obviously don't come all the way out here. And uh, he actually pulled me aside and said, do you ever take anyone to the boathouse? I said, ooh, yes I do. It's uh, really active, but people don't know that it is. Uh, what sort of information do you have for me? And they're like, well, our next door neighbor's a CPD, a police officer, and uh, the alarms go off here in the middle of the night all the time, as I mentioned just a minute ago about the old man. Um, so this uh, neighbor of theirs would respond to calls here all the time. He doesn't anymore. Um, one night he came late at night and the alarm was going off and he was doing a perimeter check outside with his flashlight, you know, um, uh, empty ballroom, empty ballroom, curtain, curtain, empty ballroom, empty ballroom, balloon. There's a balloon in here. 
he can hear through the glass children giggling and laughing and see the balloon. He's like, damn it, there's a break-in. So he gets his master key out, opens the building, does a sweep. No children, no balloon whatsoever. Bot Brothers Billiards and Buffet. They loved alliteration back then. Uh, that was, um, that was a, 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 a pool hall that was uh, started in 1880, but it was actually uh, right over here. And then in 1903, there was a fire and they moved it over here. Um, uh, Bob Brothers was a big place to be. Then after that, uh, in the 1920s, it was uh, called the clock, uh, named such for a, uh, you were demonstrating where the clock stood, beautiful, before these damn things. That's how people tell time, these big cast iron clocks. Um, the clock restaurant uh, closed in the 80s, and for a brief period, it was a goth club called Paradigm, which I loved, like, oh, I'm just going in a haunted goth club. And, um, then uh, this elevator. Um, we're going to go inside and get a, uh, a drink, but, and then we're going to move back to the very back of the uh, building, and I'll tell ghost stories. But while I'm on the subject of golf clubs, I will mention that the uh, very first one in the United States was on that corner right there. Uh, that's where the Chittenden Hotel was. And in 1940 to 1941, uh, there was a club there called the Catacomb Club. And uh, uh, people like ourselves would go in and they'd put you in this uh, rail car thing that would rumble around as it descended into the bowels of hell, but basically stayed exactly where it was. But the doors would open on the other side and you'd be in this uh, room with a, they'd pump sulfur to the smell and skeletons everywhere. And, uh, it was uh, such a unique thing. It did only last one year, but uh, 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 Time Life Magazine actually sent reporters to do an expose on it so you can uh, google it if you want to see pictures of what it looked like actually they have the menu uh at the metropolitan library you can check out it was this monk that like folded out and martinis were 50 cents we're at the elevator i went ahead and talked about a little bit of the history uh, out front um uh, one really amazing thing about this building is, is uh it's almost identical as it appeared a hundred years ago, I've found seen postcards, and there's a few things that aren't um, uh, quite <laughs> as uh, that weren't here back then. The uh, stained glass that, uh, well, at least the, the ones up front, those were uh, salvaged from a church uh, that was up on 12th that they were demolishing in the 70s, and the owner at the time had a good sense to preserve them. Um, another thing that uh, wouldn't have originally been here was the bar stools, because uh, at Around the turn of the century, it was considered very, very, very effeminate for men to sit down on a bar stool and drink. Uh, so they didn't have no bar stools. And while sitting down and having your uh, uh, cocktail might have been a little too gay back then, uh, there was nothing wrong with having a conversation with your buddy, uh, having the urge to go and just whipping out. Oh, yeah, so how was your day? Yeah. Um, to that end. This uh, bar was constructed with a pea trough running right under it. You had your toes in it whenever you were ordering your drinks tonight. Uh, it's still there. Yeah. So um, uh, there was n nothing gay about that. But uh, now, uh, yeah, it's still there. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Men are gross. Now, um, <laughs> the now uh, during during the uh, early years, this place was um, uh, the Bob Brothers opened it, and they had the biggest thing in the city going. The, no one, Columbus has never seen anything like it. Um, uh, this whole downstairs area is a bar. The uh, pool hall was on the second floor. Yeah, even when it was a clock, you can see here, a second floor billiard room. Uh, they had bets up there. Third floor, they offered a, another commodity. Um, as a lot of places did back in those days, these gentlemen's clubs. And um, uh, yeah, actually the uh, 
the, the working girls would come down in uh, that balcony over there. That's where they'd uh, sell their wares. Uh, very um, uh, Muppet movie, I think. <laughs> you know, I can hear the racket. Myth, myth. Uh, you know. um, now, uh, it should come as no surprise that uh, the, um, the, the, it's the whoring history that uh, resulted in the ghost story that everyone knows about. Um, the, the story is that there was a, uh, there was a gentleman... Uh, a colonel, um, not an actual colonel, it's just everyone called themselves colonel back then. Uh, now, uh, history has him going by two different names, either uh, Colonel Randolph Pritchard or Colonel John Rathbone. Um, but the colonel was married and he was uh, known to popular, frequent this place and um, uh, rob many a young woman of their virtues. Well, uh, on this uh, snowy night in February of uh, 1907, he's hanging out at the bar, having a drink, using the trough, and um, gets a note passed to him that there's a young lady that would like to have some words with him outside. So he's like, oh, some peccadillos, me thinks. And he goes out, and he comes back in with a lot more holes than he had when he went out, he'd been stabbed multiple times, and he collapsed and died where the host stand is now. Now, <laughs> the building has remained pretty much unchanged. One thing that they did that probably wasn't a wise decision is um, underneath the host stand, that used to be a barbershop down there, they turned it into the women's room. And in my experience of collecting these ghost stories all these years, it doesn't matter how many women's studies classes you take, there's always going to be some misogynist dick from beyond the grave. And, um, uh, they, it's, uh, the women that work here always get the worst of it. They get their hair pulled, you know, um, shoved, all that stuff. Down there, they get touched and pinched and chased up the stairs. Actually, we had a... Um, uh, we had a group on a uh, walking tour recently who came in here. Uh, whenever we got here, the very first thing these two ladies did, they were like, oh, gotta go, and they ran downstairs, came back up, and they're like, what in the hell's going on with this place? And when they were in there uh, uh, using the bathroom, one of them, the door was banging like someone was pounding on it, and uh, they were just freaked the fuck out. Um, one really, really compelling uh, uh, story uh, not long ago, there was um, one of the bartenders was... Uh, waiting, it was this quiet night, so they were bartending and then waiting on um, a, a family that was in at uh, a table. Uh, it was a, a mother, father, and two teenage daughters, and they'd go and uh, wait on bar customers and go uh, wait on the table. These people were asking all sorts of questions, because it's a fascinating place. You know, the peach off the, um, the back bar was from the uh, 1893 Chicago exhibition, uh, where H.H. <laughs> H. Holmes was doing his uh, thing. Um, the, you know, all this stuff. Uh, supposedly, Teddy Roosevelt uh, had a whiz down that trough. Um, so there's lots of cool stories. But they're asking these stories, and he'd tell them, and then he'd go back and wait on tables. And at one point, he comes over, and uh, the two daughters are downstairs. He's in the bathroom, and, and the parents ask, so it's a really cool building. Is it haunted? And he tells them the story that I just conveyed to you. Um, as he's telling the story... The two girls come running up the stairs and are like, Mom, get the check. we got to get out of here now. And uh, they had been um, touched whenever they were using the restroom. So uh, it's, uh, there's, a, there's so many different stories. Now, this is, what, this is something that I think is very, very interesting. Um, and, and in terms of our uh, winter holiday ghost stories, uh, whenever the colonel was stabbed... Uh, the story is, you know, drinking men ran out into the street to find the catch the killer, and all they found were these uh, bare, presumably female, uh, petite footprints running off, and they 
started tracking them, but then they lost them in a snowdrift. They don't know whether it was um, uh, his wife or one of the prostitutes. There, when it was a clock, there used to be a statue, actually, of a woman holding a knife called uh, Avenging Fury. Called what? Avenging Fury. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I would love to know where that statue wound up. Uh, it's been gone for many years. Now, um, this is what I think is really, really, really interesting. Um, I don't think there was a Colonel Pritchard or a Colonel Rathbone that ever did anything here. I've done my research on this building, and um, in 1906, there was an employee who worked here that was stabbed to death. Um, he and his buddy were fighting over a girl at an um, opium den over near where Pins is now, and um, uh, the guy got stabbed to death and uh, that worked here, and um, they arrested the girl, even though it was the two guys fighting over the girl. I don't know, weird thing. But it's, it's strange how these stories do get morphed over history, but the, but the interesting thing is, is despite that you know, debunking of that, the classic ghost story and folklore urban legend that surrounds this place, the hauntings persist, even people that don't know about them. So there's, a, I don't know, maybe it was the barber that was, the, you know, um, uh, the lech. Uh, who knows? Now there's also, um, actually, whenever we were at our last stop, I heard some uh, brand new stories uh, about this place. Uh, the, the gentleman that I was talking to whenever we first walked in that was sitting with his wife at the bar, he worked here years ago, and he was telling me all sorts of uh, fun stories. One is of a woman in white. You all work here, right? You do? Have you ever heard anything about a woman in white in this place? I never had. He, said, he was telling me, he's been around for years. I've worked with this guy when I was like 19. Uh, his name's Steve. He used to bartend here. And he was saying at the, this end of the bar, he was working one night, and he saw this movement out of the mirror. He turns and he sees a woman in white, and she's just gone. Then he sees her over there. Then he looks, and she's gone. Then he sees her over there. And he, he said, he was telling me a story. He Pulled his, all his hair was standing on end. Just interesting, but I'd never heard about that before. Now, one uh, story that was published about this place that you know everyone was like, "Oh, it's got to be the you know the colonel." Was a manager was in the kitchen one night, getting very close, and saw a bright light move past that doorway right over there, heading towards the front of the building. Um, he came out. There was only a bartender. It was the only other person in the building, and he uh, runs up you know, and um, uh, asked the bartender, "Did you?" Uh, were you just back there with a flashlight or something, or did, was there someone else here? And Bartos said, "No, it's just me. I, nothing is going on." And as they're talking, they feel a temperature drop, and a couple of the chairs that were stacked up on the tables flew down. Now they always say, "Oh, that's got to be the colonel or uh, you know his murderer," because they say that if you're here on the anniversary of the uh, murder and it's snowing, the barefoot prints appear out in the snow. I don't know about that, but. Uh, I don't think the ball of light was also the murderess or the colonel because there's another death that happened here that not many people know about. 1903, uh, in April, the building next door caught fire. And this is a three-story building now. It used to be five stories. And there was a firefighter named Daniel Lewis that was up on the fourth floor spraying water onto the building next door, and the wall collapsed. And he was uh, cremated... Uh, while still alive between the fourth and fifth floor of this building. And uh, I think he might be that ball of light. He and I kind of have a thing going on. He's, one of these, he's uh, been appearing in, um, uh, uh, to me in all sorts of strange ways. Uh, I, was, I spent a lot of time at Greenlawn Cemetery. I don't know if anyone else does. but I, I mean, 150,000 people were buried there. It's huge. And I was just wandering through one day shortly after I discovered uh, this uh, incident about Daniel. And there was this uh, tombstone out in the 
middle of this field. It was. It looked like it had a spotlight shining on it, and I never. I was like. Well, that's interesting. What's that? <laughs> Why am I being drawn to this tombstone? Go out there. It was his. It's got the uh, hose and the lamp and everything. Yeah, and um, uh, yeah, he's turned up in a few other weird things with me. But anyway, uh, I think he might be the ball of light, and I don't think he's confined to this building. Um, actually, across the street is the uh, Federal Bankruptcy Court. And <laughs> I was doing a tour a while back, uh, a few years ago. We were driving past here. We weren't stopping. And this one guest was like, hey, do you know anything about this block? I was like, well, yeah, you know, uh, the elevator's got a lot of stories. He's like, well, I work in the building next door. I'm a security guard there. Uh, and um, it was the day after Thanksgiving, three years ago. He was uh, awoken up at like 6 a.m. It was 5.59 by alerting bzz, 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 and uh, motion was detected in an interior uh, maintenance closet and um, when that happened uh, camera starts flashing pictures and emailing them to him and uh, he forwarded it to me so I could see it but it was pitch black pitch black pitch black giant ball of light then it goes black again and um, after that I started getting all sorts of uh, people from that building on tours, judges, uh, bailiffs, um, paralegals, secretaries, everyone. There is crazy stuff going on in the federal bankruptcy court building. They're seeing all sorts of things there. Um, now, one thing I really like about these ghost stories is um, when it's history that you've forgotten, or is, is people don't know about it, and all of a sudden it's just like, hey. And um, one really cool uh, instance of that for me uh, was Wall Street. Uh, does anybody ever at Wall Street nightclub? Yeah, uh, it was just right back here. Um, uh, several years ago, I had a friend before it would close down say, "Hey, Bucky, you really need to bring your ghost tour to Wall Street." And I was like, "Oh, that'd be so cool to have a nightclub thrown into the mix." Uh, what do you got? And I knew there was a there's a hallway back there that was really creepy. But uh, he's like, "Oh, well, you know, the fog machines go off when they're not supposed to, and the volume on the music has a mind of its own." And blah 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 blah. And I was like, "That's not." compelling enough for me to get a group of people <laughs> come in, get a drink, sit down electronics and he's like, oh, there was one time something really weird happened to me, I was like yeah, come up with it now if you weren't there and aren't familiar with the layout how Wall Street worked, you enter in the alley here and as soon as you come in there was a big desk where the door person would check your ID and whether deem whether you could go in or not and uh, after that you could either go into the uh, downstairs dance floor or you go up a flight of stairs to an upstairs bar with a balcony. Well, Jason's working the uh, door one day and uh, the upstairs bartender comes running down freaked out. He says, oh my god, what do I need to do? Do we have to evacuate? What are we, what's going on? What's going on? What do we, give me direction. And Jason says, what are you talking about? And he says, there's a fireman. He just came storming up the stairs. And uh, Jason was working the door. There's no other entry into the building. He's like, no. No, a fireman didn't, and uh, he was quite convinced. Actually, I had a uh, old bartender from uh, uh, Wall Street on a tour two weeks ago, and she said that they would. Act when I told the story, she's like, "Yeah, actually, we would have patrons come up all the time saying they'd see this fireman." No one knows. They had no idea. <laughs> a lot of the staff here don't know about Daniel Lewis, the guy that died in the the firefighter 1903 upstairs. It's one of those things. Interestingly, though, there was another firefighter that died right there in 1987, a more recent me memory, which I'm sure these bartenders didn't know about. Uh, the the Midoff building next door caught on fire in 1987 as arson, and um, uh, a firefighter named uh, uh, Nance was uh, trying to battle the flames, and he fell through the floor, and no one could do anything about it, and he burned alive down in the basement. So we got one up high and one down low. 
Well, I just went hunting last week, and when I was hunting, I didn't catch any deer, but I did get a intact coyote skull. Oh, cool. And a deer skull, and I boiled oh. them and bleached them this week, and they're absolutely gorgeous. Oh, that's... Is that all the coyotes' teeth dropped out? He oh. Have a coyote dentistry chart. <laughs> is, Tomorrow I'm trying to, uh, to rearticulate. Isn't it amazing the wormholes that we can go down? That sounds like a fantastic a Thursday. Day. Yeah. I, I actually got evicted once for a mummified uh, cat. I, 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 uh, one of my professors, she bought, she bought a new house and found one in her crawl space and she gave it to me. It was an amazing specimen. But since it had just been uh, disinterred, I didn't know if it would start to decompose or not. So I had this uh, apartment that had rooftop access. So I sat outside my bedroom window for a few days just to see. Yeah. And uh, the maintenance man found it and was like, yeah, just right here. It's perfect. Yep. Um, and he was like, I got evicted because this guy was a huge cat lover and he thought I'd lock my cat out. And <laughs> that, was, that it died, but no. All right. You'll be happy to know that that story is uh, recorded for posterity. On, on, <laughs> on, now, we're going to get outside for just a minute. Okay, so I want to tell you about, you know, I mentioned, uh, I referenced the uh, penitentiary earlier. Uh, that wasn't the first pen. This was. Well, not this building, but uh, the very first penitentiary in Ohio was on this site. Um, whenever, they whenever they started planning out Columbus in 1812, the very first thing they did was build a prison there because they wanted to use convict labor to build everything. And um, uh, made perfect sense. Now, um, uh, the first prison was just uh, like 11 cells and um, uh, <laughs> in a, in a, in a warden's uh, residence, and then they realized they greatly underestimated Central Ohio's capacity for evil, and they had to expand it. And, uh, uh, eventually, it was a 10-acre uh, site here. Um, the big debacle, and the reason I brought you here, is um, <laughs> that it occurred at this site in February uh, it was February 9th of 1844. Um, uh, the form of entertainment that day was a uh, double hanging uh, that happened at a, a gallows just right at the next intersection down. Not this one, but the one right behind us. Yes, this was Penitentiary Hill. And in uh, February 9th, 1844, they had a double hanging. Who did they hang? Well, there was a, um, uh, there was a guy named William Graham. Uh, William Graham was doing time for uh, highway robbery. And... Uh, Whenever he was uh, in the prison, he and one of the prison guards did not get along at all. Um, the prison guard <laughs> liked to um, uh, line everyone up, all the inmates, uh, whenever he was working, and sit in a chair and then have William Graham comb his hair and make him pretty, uh, emasculating him in front of everyone, and then he'd probably go back to his cell and get raped all night. Now, um, one day, <laughs> unbeknownst to this prison guard, William Graham got his hands on a cooper's axe. So there he is sitting in a chair, getting his hair combed by William Graham in front of all the other inmates, and all of a sudden William goes, took his head off. And they said, oh, you're going to hang for that. Um, 
Now, the other person was a woman named Hester Foster. Hester Foster was a young African-American woman who was doing time for assisting in the assault and rape of another woman. And uh, while she was in the prison, um, uh, in 1844, if you were a woman in jail, you were responsible for cooking and cleaning and laundry, and, you know, we've really come a long way. Now, uh, <laughs> that was facetious. Now, um, the... We were in the, uh, so Hester, and um, I'm, I'm Hester now, well, Hester was in the, uh, in the basement is where the uh, kitchen was, and she was uh, cooking some food with some other inmates, and she got in an argument, I don't know about how much cardamom to put in, you know, the stew. but uh, things got really heated, and Hester ended up grabbing a fire shovel off the wall and bashing this woman's brains to paste, so, uh, hang her too, and then, you know what, why not, two birds, one rope, we'll make a day of it, um, so, yeah, they had the, uh, hanging right over there, and, um, even though the population of Columbus at that time was, like, 6,000 people, over 10,000 showed up for this hanging, and it was a day-long, drunken, brawl party, and, um, uh, there was a, a, prominent blacksmith that got trampled to death, and they were like, okay, you can't handle public hangings and they moved them back to the walls behind the walls of the new prison and then they introduced the football and you know the rest is history um now hester they tore down the prison in the 1850s and um uh they built this in 1861 as an arsenal for the ohio militia because um the civil war was uh starting up and uh, and there was a lot of conflict and unrest between the native american population and um the pioneers so that was an arsenal and they used it as an arsenal that's why it looks like you know a castle sort of until 1970s and then they moved it as an art center now hester's seen there um uh there's a lot of different weird activity there's a um uh, there's a civil war soldier the goes by the name of Peter that's seen often. There's a little boy who uh, fell down that back uh, tower, the one on this north side furthest away from us that uh, bothers people. And there's a little girl they see a lot of times on the upper floors too. Uh, so it's an interesting spot. It's freezing out and, I, and I've over time. So this is what I'm going to, I have one little uh, sugar plum I want you to have dancing around in your heads as you lay them on your pillows tonight. And, uh, it's concerning just the history of uh, the winter uh, celebrations in general, um, you know, Yule and all that. Now, ghost stories have always been a part of the uh, winter holidays because uh, nighttime is equated with uh, the realm of the dead. And um, we, you know, know the Dickens story and all these other, uh, Krampus is really hot now, oh, Krampus is Krampus at. There are other winter monsters, and one uh, particularly uh, favorite of mine, uh, winter um, uh, legend that's been with uh, cultures, uh, Germanic cultures, thousands of years, is the wild hunt. And it was this hunt that was said to happen uh, during the winter of this phantasmal, like, horde that would ride through the sky, gathering up and slaughtering and consuming anything in their path. Now, um... In Norse mythology, it was led by Odin, and he would be atop his eight-legged horse, uh, Slipnir, and he would ride through the skies in his red suit with his long white beard and decide who'd been naughty and who'd been nice. Clement Moore turned it into reindeer and uh, this lovely idea of Santa Claus that we have now. Um, uh, in different places, regions, it was a different uh, leader. There was... Um, Frau Perkta in Germany in certain parts, and she's my favorite. And in fact, actually, in lots of uh, uh, Alpine uh, regions, 
what you think of as a Krampus would be called a Perkton, uh, a child of Perkta. Frau Perkta was this winter witch, and she's probably the most frightening of all because her big beef with people was if they didn't conform to societal norms. She was out to get you, so ugh. Now, and what she'd do was she'd slit your throat open or your belly, take out all the innards, and then she'd replace them with glass and straw and hay, and she'd stitch you up with a, a metal thread. Now, whenever she would lead the wild hunt, instead of all these, like, you know, people on ghostly horses and all this stuff and warriors, it would be a, the souls of unbaptized children wailing behind her. In Cornwall, um, it's a lawyer that leads the wild hunt. But... Um, Enough of all that. Uh, this, uh, what I'm going to leave you with tonight is a, um, a little excerpt of a poem by a guy named Johannes uh, Karsten Hauk. Uh, he was a 17th century uh, Dutch poet. And this is just a little excerpt from one of his poems about this particular hunt. They saw the child at the head of his host. In moonlight, they heard the racket of his train of terrible shadows and ghosts with the hawk and the sable bracket. Like wings, the sound over wood was born in terror the dwarf dug deeper and overheard the mad hunting horn awakened the horrified sleeper. The hunter's shouts, the thunder's crash roared high in the lust of slaughter. Through horses' whinnies and the snap of the lash above the livid water. Over forests, fields, and ditches, clustering pallid flare on flare, wolves with hundred feet and witches sailed the river of the air. The peasants who saw the chase sweep by swore to all who could hear it, that out of the hunted hind's wild eye there peered Queen Helping Spirit. They thought her doom was sealed, but aye, by no prayers be diminished, to be hunted until the last judgment day, when world and time are finished. The holidays have always been a time of communal celebration. However, with the concerted efforts to commercialize them, we have lost some of what made these moments memorable, connecting with our loved ones. Scary ghost stories may be a throwaway line in a song, in a mostly forgotten tradition, but they were a way to share our fears, hopes, and dreams, a way to bond with loved ones. And truly, what better time to gather and share than during the long, dark night? with anxiety and hope of a new year approaching. We'll see you in the new year. Happy holidays. This show was created and produced by me, Shane McClelland and Lori Gum. And until next time, friends, be weird, stay curious. These are the Q-Files.